Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today, I'm going to actually answer uh, many questions. I'm not even going to give you what the questions are. Uh, it makes more sense to me just to preach those than to, to actually... You'll be able to tell, believe me. Uh, but it makes more sense for me just to preach the passage uh, and passages, I should say, than to stop and just answer a question. Uh, so we'll, we'll do that. It'll be quite natural as we get into it. And you will also notice there will be some back and forth just so we can answer with a lot more clarity. So I want to say this uh, as a very beginning. Uh, your asking questions should not replace your own personal Bible study. Do not depend on my answers. You should search the Scriptures out for yourself and make sure that, that your, your spirit bears witness to the truth of God's Word. Uh, I, I would never, ever want to do your homework for you. I think that's cheating. Uh, but I don't mind giving you a little bit of a direction as to how to find the answer and at least how I found the answer that satisfies me. And, uh, and so that's very, very important. Uh, also, it's important to know that any time that you search out an answer for a question that you have, whether it's friends or books or whatever it is that you're getting information from, you're always you're going to find a plethora of answers. Uh, and everybody answers it for a specific reason. They, they need the answer to be the answer to fit some other paradigm for their either their doctrine or their philosophy or their way of life. And so it's important not just to believe somebody because they wrote something, but to understand why they wrote it, to understand the heart of the writer, and to even understand at what level they are uh, uh, scholarly. <laughs> That's very, very important. Uh, and so we're going to do a little bit about that, a little bit of that this morning. So we're going to talk, I'm going to launch off into spiritual gifts because I think, think it's important. We've actually talked about spiritual gifts some but never, ever, I think, could we give as much uh, 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 weight to spiritual gifts in a, in a church setting uh, as, as we need to. So the whole topic of spiritual gifts has been controversial almost since day one. Uh, you go all the way back to the church at Corinth, one of the first churches ever established, and they argued over spiritual gifts. And, uh, and they were believers, and they knew that something was different now that they were a believer. They were thinking different. Their hearts were different. The way that they processed truth and life was different. Opportunities they had was different, but they did not know what it meant. And it's very important for us to understand that these men and women were lawmakers, and they were poor, and they were rich, and they were widows, and they were orphans, and they were tax collectors, and they were jailers, and they were businessmen, and they were soldiers, and they were thieves, and they were prostitutes. And the only thing that they had in common was this new love, this new life that had been gathered into them through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing they had in common, which is one of the reasons why when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about His unity, the unity of the Spirit, because He takes every background and brings them into one. How does He do that? Because every born-again believer has the same trajectory. We're all headed to eternity together. And the weightier gifts 
is, is love. And so we know that as we bind and bound ourselves together, we do so out of love. Love for one another. And love for the, our fellow man. Love for those that are outside the church. Love for those that are inside the church. We stir one another up for spiritual growth. We also stir up the dust of our neighborhood so that people can see Jesus Christ in us. And we do all of that because we love We love the Father who created us and placed His will and His Spirit within us. So it's this new love for and this concern for and this care for one another and for the eternity, not just for the day. I'm I'm, I'm terribly afraid that as we preach today and there's so many modern ills, I mean, I really do get it, and people need hope for the moment, not just hope for eternity, that we have devalued living for eternity and we're just trying to preach to get people through Monday. But listen, our goal is eternity. Amen? And if we would set eternity as our goal, it's a whole lot easier to make it through Monday because we're not wrapped up in Monday. We're wrapped up in our, our future reward. So when we, and I'm going to use church as a verb, but when we church from the flesh... There's not much that happens spiritually. In fact, I'll tell you, when you church from the flesh, it creates frustrations, criticism, gossip. It creates judgment. It creates burnout. And it creates lots of division. But when you church from the Spirit, we get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And it was that sense, that new movement of maturity and growth, and everybody's not on the same page all at the same time, and and they're moving together. And when when when, when they do disagree, they have to prefer love. When they do get on each other's nerves, they have to prefer love. And that's not easy, and so it created a new tension inside the church. And so in order to relieve that tension, God gave, as He pleased, spiritual gifts to the body of believers. So that, not so that there could be a good structure, but so that there would need to be a structure at all. And that's very important. I know that I'm not basing that on a scripture, but I'm going to take that from everywhere spiritual gifts are mentioned. That spiritual gifts are not, they do not structure the local church. Spiritual gifts show us that we don't need a structure but love for one another. So we all are pursuing love and our different responsibilities in the body of Christ are to pursue love for the good of the body. And one may preach, but it doesn't make him superior. It only, gives, it only proves that he has different giftings. Some may teach. That doesn't mean that they're a better teacher. It just may mean that they have different giftings. Some may serve in lots of other ways. Many of you serve in ways that nobody will ever know. In fact, some of you serve in ways that you don't even know. God gave them a gift that would reduce the friction that comes from that tension. And if they would live in the fruit of the Spirit, I'm talking about not when they're at church. I'm talking about the living of life. If they will live in the fruit of the Spirit, then they would find that it is much easier to live using the gifts of the Spirit. And by the way, I believe that's true vice versa. 
If you will pursue your spiritual gift and using your spiritual gift, I think that you will see a whole lot more fruit being bared out in your life. If you neglect the fruit, I think Scripture is pretty clear. And I don't mean this to be, you know, arrogant uh, to those who aren't Christians, but I like to think of, once you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's just like putting on a, I don't know, I mean, Paul even said a couple of times to churches, you know, you're acting like mere mortals. <laughs> you know, and I love that because I think Paul's understanding identification is once you're in Christ, you're not mortal anymore. You're immortal. I mean, it's almost like being superhero, except you're not the hero. You're pointing people to the hero in your everyday life. And so to neglect the gift is to act like a, a human. <laughs> Anybody can do that. So before we jump into the text, it's important to remember the context of the text. And they, this church had a lot of problems. It was filled with division and arguments and lawsuits and immorality. And there was confusion about primary institutions like uh, marriage, uh, Lord's Supper, food offered to idols, uh, how to worship. Uh, they didn't agree on the resurrection. They didn't agree on how to give. They didn't agree on spiritual gifts. And so... Some people thought they were more important than others because they had some pretty spectacular gifts. And so they put themselves as the leaders just because of their giftings. Listen, giftings doesn't make leaders. Because, I mean, if it were, then wouldn't Jesus said, I've come to lead you? But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I come to serve. So it seems to me that if you want to find the greatest in the kingdom, you need to look for the one who's serving the most. So listen, if you're, if, you're, if you're lording your spiritual gift over somebody, you're doing it wrong. Because the most spiritual person among us ought to be the chief servant. Amen? So if you're not looking to serve, what's that say about our time with the Lord? Now the other side of that is exactly uh, the same in parallel. Some people think that their gifts make them superior. Other people look at their gifts and, and they feel inferior. I've got nothing to offer. My gift of encouragement, you know, those people, those gifts blow mine out of the water. I, you know, my gift of serving, my gift of helps, they don't need me. And so we just relegate ourselves to a pew and we hope to come to church sometimes and benefit from everybody else's ministry. Listen, I think both of those are wrong. It's easy for us to point our finger at all of the dictators and say, you know, how dare they. But the same thing is true for those who neglect their spiritual gift altogether. If we could merge those two together, then we would look like one body instead of a divided body. And by the way, when we're looking at where we are in the chain, you can't look at where you are in the level of importance and look at Jesus at the same time. If you look at Jesus, nothing else will matter. So when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, and no, I'm not, that's not the passage that I'm going to be preaching from, we see that Paul wanted to make sure that they had a very proper understanding about spiritual gifts because Paul understood if they don't understand spiritual gifts, then they'll never get ministry right. If they don't get ministry right, then they will fail miserably. So we look at this. Time with Jesus, that's, of course, prayer, Bible study, you, you can't spend time with Him in prayer and not get His heart. You can't spend time with Him in His Word and not understand His heart, His character, His will, His nature, right? So His Word develops us 
develops within us His character and nature. It then becomes our fuel. So as I spend time in the presence of Jesus with the Word of Jesus, then it fuels me. It is truly fuel. I can't think of a better word than that. So it's our fuel as people. And I've noticed that some Christians actually take off their Christianity when it's convenient for them to do that. But true followers of Jesus Christ cannot do that. No matter where we are or when we are, we are to be fueled and live within that fuel to power our lives. Not just when we're teaching a class, not just when we're in a counseling session, not just when we're trying to be protecting ourselves from outside forces. Born-again believers are to be living in the fuel of God's Word and the presence of God's time all the time. And when we are, we'll be able to see ministry opportunities where previously we were not able to see them. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, people who have Christ first in their life are fueled by Christ. And just like a vehicle, and this is a terrible illustration, but just like a vehicle, you put gasoline in a vehicle and it fuels it. But gasoline is not what comes out. There's different emissions that come out of this thing. It's the same way with the believer. You put the fuel of Jesus Christ in and the emissions, you know, the mechanisms that are working is the fruit of the Spirit. That's the mechanisms that are keeping everything working. The Spirit is the lubrication of the engine. But then the emissions is the gifts of the Spirit that are coming out. That You're able to, to see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit. And you know you have the fruit of the Spirit because you're spending time in Jesus Christ and pursuing His love. So we begin in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And that was a real risk of being uninformed. So spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design, to God's desire, and by God's grace for the common good of the body of Christ. You don't have to write that down, but you're going to hear that uh, often. But there is a difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities, right? I hear a lot of people talk about, well, I'm gifted in that way. Listen, we need to be very, very careful about definitions because they matter a lot, especially over time. Natural abilities are not gifts. They're just that. They're abilities that you are born with. Everybody has those. You may use some natural abilities for the glory of Jesus Christ, but your natural abilities are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are spiritual by nature, and they're imparted to us at conversion, not before. So we must give our talents, our abilities, to the Lord. But we must make very careful, intentional attention to unleashing our spiritual gifts for the good of the body of Christ. Well, so if you shoot down to verse 4, 5, and 6, I'm not going to read those just yet. But there are different types of gifts. And so we have to be very careful about putting anything into categories where Scripture doesn't. But I think it's easier for us to kind of break these down. In verse 5, he says there's varieties of gifts. In verse, uh, verse 4, rather, varieties of gifts. Verse 5, varieties of service. In verse 6, varieties of activities. 
Now, there's lots of ways of translating that, but I think what Paul is simply saying is there's different types of giftings. And so if we want to break those down, we would say different varieties of gifts. These are motivational gifts. All right? These are gifts that we use that, uh, that help shape our own perspective, help us to understand uh, these are discern, discerning gifts. These are, are gifts that help me understand who I am in Christ. And then there are ministry gifts, diversities or varieties of service. This, these are gifts that, that born-again believers can use to serve the body of Christ. Then there are also varieties of activities. These are manifestational gifts. These are proof gifts, right? These are gifts that we, uh, we use uh, that to, to speak into a specific situation. So there are gifts that help me. There are gifts that help me help you. And there are gifts that help us in a circumstance. It's very important. And everyone doesn't have every gift, but every believer has at least one. So these manifestational gifts were especially important in the first century. This was before the finished canon of Scripture was all put together. It had not all been uh, written yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 8 suggests that there will be many of these kinds of gifts will actually cease to function. In fact, he says, love never ends. So remember, these are uh, in... in uh, contrast to love, which will never, there will never be an end to love. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now I want you to understand, it says in, in chapter 13, we're going to skip over there really quickly, in, chapter, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I also want to draw your attention to, to chapter 12, 13, and 14 are spiritual gift passages. Chapter 13 that we read at weddings is bookended by two chapters that talk about spiritual gifts, which tell me that chapter 13 is also a spiritual gift passage of Scripture. Okay, It's not for mater, uh, uh, marital love for one another. It fits. It fits. But it only fits because Christ loved His church. That's why it fits. Verse 13 tells us the kind of love that Jesus Christ has for His bride, the church. And so if Christ loves His church that way, husbands love your wives this way. It's easy. But it's hard. I should say it's simple. But it's hard. But we have the model, Jesus Christ. And now we know that we have the giftings that help us to model that love. So if you can love in the flesh that way, you can't. If you can, you can't. You have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to be able to love that way. It is one of the gifts. Okay, so now that we're over there, uh, verse 8, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So the partial is in part in part. We're talking about knowledge and we're talking about prophecies. It's very important. I'm going to break all this down just for a second. Take just a moment to explain it while we're here. That which is perfect, I believe that there is a really good chance that that which is perfect is the completed work of God in the Scriptures. So now that it is completed in Revelation, 
when it says nobody can add to or take away from this, we have everything that God wants us to know. Everything that God wants us to know. You've heard me say this before. If Jesus were to appear to us today he would, and He said anything to us, He would only quote Scripture. Because He's given us everything that He wants us to know. We are thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Amen? There's nothing left for us to know right now. And the Scripture multiple times calls itself the perfect. Now, there is a good chance that we're also talking about the coming glory. When we will be completely sanctified, glorified in His presence, that that which is good, perfect is that moment in time as well. But regardless of whether it is eternal glory or whether it is the finished Word of God, which there is good evidence that it's the Word of God because many of these gifts did kind of go out in the first century, only to recently, in terms of 2,000 years of history, only recently have they... Uh, cropped back in with a great deal of confusion in, in the church. I'm not going to talk about that to great detail because I'll, I'll end up chasing uh, the wrong direction. Kata'ageo is the word that is impartial. All right, or be done. See, let's look up here. For we, uh, let's see, verse 8. Uh, As for prophecies, they will pass away. That word is pass away. Another way of uh, interpreting that is to be placed on hold. It means to push pause. It means to be idled or to make in, in, inactive. Inactive. Alright? So the word tongues... So just look here real quick. Verse 8. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will what? Cease. Alright? Then you go back down to knowledge. What will knowledge do? Pass away. Well, that's the same thing prophecies do. Those are two... Different verbs, all right? And they mean completely different things. They're not just Paul's way of not using the same words over and over. He obviously has no trouble with that. The point of this is this, uh, and where tongues will uh, cease, that word is pao, okay? And, and the reason that that is important is because these two things, well, not two things, three things, but knowledge and prophecies are doing something different in a different way than tongues ceasing. Alright, so let me explain what I mean by that. Kateago is this word to pass away. And it is actually written, and I know you don't care about Greek, but it, this is why it is so important. It is so important to be able to understand uh, at this level. It's, a, it's passive voice. And it means, in this context... That the thing that is perfect, the thing that is perfect is actually going to be the cause that stops it. So the perfect will be the thing to cause it to stop. The word pao means to cease and desist. It is written in, the verb is middle voice, which... Which means that it is going to stop at a different time. It stops of its own accord. Not because of that which is perfect. It stops at a far earlier time. Alright? So, that's, that's the Greek. And that's the difference between the passive voice and the middle voice. Is that the, par- the perfect will cease the knowledge. So, if it's the Word of God... I have no problem with that. Prophecies, if it's the finished Word of God, have no problem with prophecies and knowledge ceasing. 
We seem to still see some of that, though. The ability to tell the truth, the ability to see uh, truth from error, the ability to proclaim, to foretell the coming of Jesus Christ uh, in, in prophetic ways. We see that even active today. The ability to have gifts of knowledge, we can still see that. Perhaps it is stepping into a glorified sense in eternity that will cause that to pass away. But tongues is going to undo itself of its own, which I believe is the perfect Word of God. Where you begin to see the Word of God increase in the world, you begin to see the tongues and interpretations of tongues decrease because we already have what God has said. They didn't have what God has said yet. So for us, for me, I'll say for me, I believe that where the Word of God is not in existence, and by the way, that's a lot of places still yet. I believe that God still uses the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. I think God still does that. But the gift of tongues and interpretations of tongues, the way that modern churches, at least in America, operate, doesn't seem to fit with the biblical narrative of the purpose and the point of tongues. And the interpretation of tongues. It brings confusion. It does not bring clarity. It brings new revelation. It brings new words. Which seems to run contrary to what the gift of tongues were supposed to do to begin with. So we have speaking gifts. That's word of wisdom, prophecy, evangelism, pastor, teacher, teaching. Uh, we also have gifts of service, service gifts. That's gifts of administration, gifts of exhortation, faith, giving, helps, serving mercy. I'm not sure that the Scripture gives us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. But then we also have the sign gifts, which you've already talked about these. The distinguishing of spirits, miracles, healings, tongues, interpretation of tongues. So I want to shift our gears a little bit back to the sign gifts because those are where most of the questions originate. All right, so let's look at the gifts of healing. Does God, how does the gifts of healing work? Uh, does God still use the gifts of healing? And so I want to just answer that very quickly. If God gives you gifts of healing, it does not mean that you can heal at will or that everyone you pray for will be healed. Now, the gifts of healing, the reason that I want to bring that up is because this is another sign gift. I do not believe that all of the manifestational gifts or sign gifts have been done away with. I believe that there is still a very much a supernatural movement of God that is available to the churches today. I think we're so afraid of it because we're afraid something might creep in that doesn't exist that we just boycott all of it. And I think we do the Holy Spirit a disservice when we do that. But we have to be very careful, but Scripture tells us to be very careful. It's interesting, though, that the literal phrase, and look at verse 9. I want to look at verse 9. And, <clears throat> and then I want, this is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? Sorry. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. Now look at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Look at verse 30. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then he talks about love. 
The reason I want to bring up chapter uh, 12, verse 9, 28, and 30, is though it's translated in English as healing, the original Greek is not in uh, singular. It's plural. I I don't understand why the translators... uh, Maybe, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm not going to try to explain why the translators did that. But the Greek is gifts of healings every time this is used. And this word is used three times in all of Scripture. Verse 9, verse 28, and verse 30. It's the only three times this word is even used. And every time it is plural. And it's interesting because it's, it's obviously... Not gift of healing, but gifts of healings to plural. And I think that's probably because there are different kinds of gifts for different kinds of healings. And they are given to various people according to God's sovereign will. So this suggests to us that one person would never have the monopoly on gift of healing. If someone says they have the gift of healing, they do not. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a faith healer. They do not exist. There may be someone who is given the gifts of healings that is able in a moment pass the healing on through, from the healer to the, needy, to the needed one to be able to pass that healing on, but you can't replicate that. Otherwise, every faith healer should be camped out at hospitals. So this type of spiritual gift is that the power is in the gift, not into the gifted. Right? So there are, we do believe in the gift of healing, but that gift doesn't belong to a person other than Jesus Christ. He is our healer. And so when whomever and whenever He chooses to use us to be able to speak, or to manifest healing into the life of a person, he may choose to do that. And that person may never have that ability again. This was Paul's experience. God gave him the grace to heal the crippled man at Lystra. The many people at Ephesus, he, uh, the, in Acts chapter 6, the, uh, the uh, demonized girl, I mean, he just spoke and boom, right? Maybe not boom, but that's a little bit, didn't mean that ugly. Uh, Eutychus, <laughs> uh, Eutychus falls out the window and dies. Paul, Paul heals him, right? Uh, Paul had the gift of healing. Yes, in those moments, he certainly did. He certainly did. But Paul could not heal himself from the element that he had uh, when he preached at Galatia. He talked about that in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, when Timothy said, my stomach is really hurting, and boy, I sure wish you could use your gift of healing on me, uh, Paul said, uh, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Uh, sometimes the gift of healing might just be in some good medical advice. I don't know. But you think about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had a life-threatening sickness. Paul couldn't heal it. He asked the church to pray for it. Uh, you also had Trophimus, uh, whom Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he left ill at Miletus. He couldn't heal Trophimus either and was asking for the church to pray. So these are very, very clear things for us to see that once a person is able to heal, they may not be able to do that again in every circumstance. Like a person with the gifts of encouragement or the gift of helps or the gift of serving or the gift of administration or the gifts of leadership might be able to do. Sometimes Paul's gifts was gifts of healings and sometimes it wasn't. But God is completely sovereign in that affair. 
Nothing is mechanical. There is no formula to gifts of healing. And anybody who claims that they can heal or they know someone who can heal, if it's not Jesus Christ, or perhaps even sometimes the prophets couldn't do it and the apostles couldn't do it. But if they know of a healer, they don't know of a healer unless his name is Jesus Christ. He is the healer. All healing comes from our Creator. Amen. Amen. So anytime somebody, and listen, this does, and, I, and maybe as a pastor I deal with it a lot more, but I see so many people wounded because they're not healed and they think that it's a matter of their faith, that I just didn't believe enough or you know, trying to positive thinking. Positive thinking doesn't heal people. Faith doesn't heal people. Faith doesn't heal people. Now, you look at James chapter 5 where he talks about the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith, whose faith? The one that is sick? I doubt it because they're on their deathbed. They probably don't have much faith when they're in a coma. The prayer of the prayer, who's the prayer depending upon? The healer. Jesus Christ, the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's not faith itself. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the wording of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 as well as Paul's own experience, teaches us that there are varied gifts of healing that can be given to us at different times for different illnesses, but no guarantees. I have been in certain circumstances, I'm not going to tell all of them because this isn't about me, but I have sat in hospital rooms where the Lord has told me that He was going to heal somebody that the doctor said wasn't going to be healed. And I've been able to tell them that. I've also been in early in ministry where the Lord told me that, and I was too afraid to say that. And I didn't. Can you imagine being able to encourage someone in the, in the healing of Jesus Christ and keeping your mouth shut? I've also been in circumstances where, where families get pretty encouraged that things are going to turn around and the Lord t- tells me that it's not His will. And I'm able to not say to them, hey, this ain't going to work out. Well, you think it's going to. Who would, who would do that? You've got to tap into some other gifts. <laughs> You have to say things like, you know, it all belongs to the Lord. You know, we're going to trust the Lord in this. Whatever, whatever, we're going to look for His glory in this. Whatever He does, He's good. And you remind families of God's goodness and of His abilities beyond life or death. So as we study spiritual gifts, I think it's very important for us to keep in mind that we are commanded to do much of the things that are listed in spiritual gifts. We are commanded to do them anyway. You've heard me say this before. There is a gift of faith. There are some people who are able to believe at a deeper, more meaningful level and present that faith that encourages faith in others. That's powerful. But we're all called to have faith. We're all commanded to give, but there are some who have the gift of giving. And it just does different things in the body. There are those who can teach because they have the gift of helps. But there are others who have the gift of teaching. Oh, and Listen, we all need one another. I believe that's one of the reasons that sometimes you see different faces is God knows what the church needs to accomplish His will. So I'm telling you, if you are here right now, God wants to use you for the body of Jesus Christ here. He knows what He's called us to do, but we're either too busy in our own importance or we're sitting on our hands because we're of no good. But we have got to learn how to unleash one another into the kingdom. 
how to work with one another, how to love one another, how to prefer one another. And we learn that as we use spiritual gifts. It's a very, very important part. And, and so we keep our focus not on the gift, but upon love. We keep our focus not on the gift, but on the giver. We keep our gift on serving, not ourselves. And the only way that you can do that is to spend time living in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and time in God's Word, learning His character and nature. As you pursue love, you will find out your spiritual gifts. And I, you're like, well, I just don't, have, I don't, I don't think I have one. I, I've never been able to figure out what it is. I just don't know what it is. And I mean, When I figure it out, I'll do something. Here's my advice to you. And I think this is biblical advice, right? And I'm like, two-thirds of the sermon we won't get to today. Uh, but here's my advice to you. Just jump in. So Jesus said that, that the Holy Spirit is, um, Paul says it too, that the Holy Spirit's kind of like the wind. It just blows whichever way He wants to blow, right? You can't see the wind. You can feel its evidence of it. That is exactly the best advice I know, is if you don't know where you are to be serving, find a place that you don't hate. And just step into it, and just let the Spirit blow you until you get to the place where you start seeing the fruit of the Spirit and you start finding that sense of, oh, this is great. I love spending time in the presence of God and in the presence of God's people. You'll never, dis- you'll never discover. The goal of your Christianity is not to discover your gift. It's to use it. If you don't use it, you might as well not have it. And Paul even told the pastor Timothy, do not neglect the gift of God that is within you. And then he follows that with great advice. But fan the flame on the gift that it might become radiant. So there is a responsibility. Number one, there is an opportunity for us to negate the gift. Squelch it in our life. Sit on our hands. Or, or, be, or be constantly busy but not accomplishing anything for his kingdom because of our self-importance. But it's possible, even in either one of those regards, to squash the Spirit's work. And so what do we do? We fan the flame. How do we fan the flame? Jump in. Find a way. Everybody can begin by being encouraging. Everybody can begin by shaking hands with strangers. Everybody can begin by sitting with people that may not be in your little sphere. You've got all the rest of the week to sphere up. Take the time when people are coming in here that are broken, who are looking for answers, who are looking for everything we're talking about. Take that time to just spend a few minutes making sure that they feel valued and loved by Jesus Christ. Listen, when people see you using... This is the most important thing I want you to hear. This is the culmination. When people see you, when people see your gift, when people see the fruit of the Spirit, they look at you, they see the Spirit of God all over you. They should sense the Spirit of God in you. And what does the Spirit of God do? The Spirit always points to the Son. So when they see you, they see the Spirit. When they see the Spirit, they see Jesus. When they see Jesus, what does Jesus point to? Jesus always points to the Father. So when you are actively working in just your everyday life, using the gifts that God has given you, not the gifts here, but your gifts in your everyday life, when people see you, they see the Spirit. When they see the Spirit, they see the Son. And when they see the Son, they see the Father. When they see the Father, they can see themselves in eternity. And they'll take a step themselves. So let's not sit on our hands. 
Let's get busy. Listen, God is getting ready to unleash us. I am convinced of it. So let's go ahead and get activated and fan the flame so that we be ready when he does. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you, and we ask that you would glorify yourself through our fellowship here. We thank you that you've been so clear to us uh, about spiritual gifts. And uh, I pray, Lord, that it would be the emissions of our time with you. Thank you that you have given us your fuel. And may we live and be satisfied in that. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise as we learn daily what it looks like to pour ourselves out for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.